There aren't a ton of public rest stops in Vietnam, so when people drive long distances, you often have to pee on the side of the road. Women take turns covering each other, but when you're the only woman on a road trip, there isn't a great protocol for that. I was traveling with my dad and an uncle, and both our driver and guide, which are required with the rental, were also men. They generally are. We pull over. The guys just go, practically from inside the van. So if I want clean dirt to piss on, I have to go find some. I leave the shoulder of the road where we're parked. There's a few yards of short grass, then a few yards of tall grass, and past that is jungle. Don't want to go there. And I don't have to. A perfect little clearing surrounded by tall grass just appears like an oasis. I can't believe my luck. I go, squat, just trying not to splash in my sandals. But then my legs start burning. I'm like, oh, gross. Did I miss? How bad is it? I look down and... Girl! It weren't piss. It was ants. The biggest ants I'd ever seen the size of two of my knuckles. My coochie was hanging four inches above an anthill full of one-inch jungle ants. Do you understand? There's an episode of Monster Bug Wars where ants rip apart a scorpion alive in synchronized teams. When I say to my kids, teamwork makes the dream work, I'm talking about ant brutality. How many ants would a colony send to kill me? The two-legged monster drowning their queen in urine? I don't know, because I ran midstream back toward the road. I triaged my lady parts. I threw my pittance of toilet paper down on the mound like an offering to a beast. I lost a flip-flop. When I first got out of the van, I didn't even know to look for ants. And now I'm running from them with my ass out. My whole existence and peace of mind hinge on the fact that I don't think about nature too hard. But what I don't know can bite me. This is Ivy Lee with one E, and you're listening to Fogo, Fear of Going Outside, where I venture to find out what's so great about the outdoors. Today's episode, Fear of What I Don't Know I Don't Know. This doesn't really go well for me, guys. Let's, let's get this one over with. I've done some internet research on camping at this point, but there's a big difference between learning about something online and actually doing it. Like watching the webinar, build your network marketing business in 15 minutes a day, versus actually selling a garage full of wellness supplements. You need a coach. I'm pretty sure Diane Carrico, an outdoor educator, can probably teach me everything I need to know about camping. But I don't want to rush outside willy-nilly, so I invite her inside my closet studio first. I'm interested in teaching sort of fundamental understanding of how things work, because I think a really good survivalist and somebody that's really good at primitive skills has a lot of really strong, soft skills. Diane has a lot of skills, okay? I met her at Krav Maga. She has been a wildland firefighter, a weather spotter, and can weave shelter from grass. Listen to what she told me about dirt. So insect poop is really important because it has so much nutrients in it. The insects all help turn up the soil. 
So it's super, super important to the ecosystem. I also think it's kind of cool because they look like little grenades. The poop does. Have you ever noticed that? No. No? <laughs> so it's that's not... what it is. So I think, so when I'm like, like, like brushing my thighs or whatever from, mm-hmm. you know, because it's really live in Texas. So in the summer, I wear like mm-hmm. shorts and skirts. Mm-hmm. And if I like have to sit in the grass or something and I get up and I like sw- swipe my thigh like this, mm-hmm. that's not dirt. That's literal insect poop. Well, I mean, like insect, insect poop is also dirt. They they eat um like oh my god so, let's say for example uh, like, ah. this is so nasty <laughs> okay, oh my so, god <laughs> there is. everyone who's afraid of grass who's uh-huh. listening right now who's listening to this is like <laughs> I knew it I knew it well it's not okay it's not, I mean it's not going to exclusively be insect poop I but mean it's like fifty percent I don't I don't know the percent <laughs> I don't know the percentage but. So but it could I mean, be like gonna, ninety when I well, when I'm when with all those little black things sat, I scrape off. If you sat in a pile of it, then yes. But I mean, it's also it's dirt. It's dirt. Dirt is like organic materials, which does include. I feel like excrement. that's code. when you say organic material. I feel like that's code for poop. <laughs> Sometimes you sit in poop. Yes. I knew. I knew. I knew I was sitting on poop. On some level, I just knew it and that makes sense on a molecular level why i evolved to avoid it whenever i can i'm not the only one either if you search youtube for babies avoiding grass you will find hundreds of videos from all over the world people hate grass so much there's a house someone's trying to flip on my street they replace the whole front lawn with astroturf to make it more sellable we are built to innovate and we almost always innovate away from our conflict with nature The first human to pee on an ant pile probably thought, how do I not do that again? And that's probably how we got the toilet. Let's build fire and weave textiles to protect us against the elements. Let's carve dates into bone and invent the calendar so we don't randomly start bleeding while we're hunting and gathering in shark water. We're not meant to sit on our hands like, oh well, nature sucks for us. And yet, that's the whole premise of camping. Is camping A scam? Are these people paid actors? We've spent all of human history making sure that we don't have to go into nature. Why would I lay in worm poop when I could just lay in bed? Worm poop is so magical. Worms are sold by the pound to compost waste and improve soil quality. Worms are basically all hearts and intestine, which honestly, I kind of identify with. If you see some on the concrete after a rain, it's because they get oxygen through water on their skin. So they're coming up to party in the water, but you're supposed to pick them up and put them back on soil because they'll die if they're still on concrete when the rain evaporates. I wouldn't pick up a worm before, but ugh, they do all this invisible labor for us. So now I would probably say out loud, somebody ought to pick up that worm and set it on the grass. I guess I could tell my kids to do it. They probably would. Oh my god, y'all. I I think that was growth. Having Diane in studio is already working. I have watched hundreds of hours of nature shows. I am obsessed, but I have never had the chance to ask a real live expert my most burning questions and actually get straight answers. Questions like, what's the difference between walking and hiking? Hiking is uh, sexier and it feels like you're bragging. What's the difference between grass and weeds? They look the same. What's with the hate? 
Laymen tend to use the word weed as any plant that is not where you want it to be. Should people who are allergic to everything even try to camp? That all depends on how allergic you are. I even asked her about this problem I'd been having with a spider web by my trash bins. She had an answer for everything. So now I, I can't go the, the shortest path to, to replace the, the, the trash cans. I have to go around this um, little tree. It's like not a big deal tree, right? Mm-hmm. But I have to go around this tree to replace the trash bins. And for several weeks in a row, every time I did it, I got completely cut. My face just went into this giant spider web. And I was like, ah! <laughs> like, right? And then I was like, okay, well, that happened to sign, happened again. Well, of course, it got rebuilt. And so now like, I right. just go way, way out of my way to yeah. avoid that tree to put the trash in. So there. spiders typically will just build their webs at night mm-hmm. and they orient their web according to the predominant wind direction. I would be interested in trying, um, like, if you just. Instead of destroying the web, because they require a lot more energy to, like, rebuild the entire web, if you just, um, like, move it out of the way, they'll eat that web and use it, reuse it to build their web again. But I wonder if you took um, the connecting points to the web and you just shifted them over to another place. And she moved that spider web for me with her bare hands, with her on gloved skin, she picked up two ends of the spider's house, which it ejaculated out of its own body, and she relocated it. So my driveway is a nature preserve now. Diane Carrico is the real deal. She's a first-round draft pick for an all-star zombie apocalypse team. I trust that if I follow her advice, I'll make it out alive. So I finally ask her, what do I need to know? to go camping. In the the survival world, there's something called the rule of threes. I only knew about two rules of three. Celebrity deaths come in threes, which everybody knows. And when it comes to writing, literature, oration, or comedy, the rule of three basically says ideas or lists are inherently more memorable and satisfying if there are three elements in it. That's why live, laugh, love signs are so popular. And those a rabbi and a mom and a duck walk into a bar jokes, they often start with three characters. It's also why this show, Fogo, uses a three-act structure in each episode. Because I know a lot about writing, but I know almost nothing about our biology. I'm not alone. People have been holding rallies against biology. So here's the rule of three for staying alive. You can go three hours in um, adverse weather conditions before you die. You can go three days without water before you die. You can go three weeks out without food. I took biology in ninth grade, but the class started out with a project where I had to catch and identify 50 or 100 insects, which of course scarred me. So I mostly tuned out for the rest of the year. But Diane's giving me info that I recognize instantly as relevant to my survival. Three hours exposure, three days without water, and three weeks without food. She's not making me more excited for camping per se but knowing this i do feel slightly more like a badass but i would say for me the biggest concern i have is water when i go out somewhere if i do like a survival trip i want water and then i want food and shelter and food and shelter will kind of vary depending on what sort of environment i'm in 
Okay. Eating animals will give you the highest amount of calories per like size, but animals run away and they might fight back. And so I really advocate for plants right. <laughs> and learning plant identification and, and what is um, available because plants don't run away. So you mean in the sense that they'll give the animals will give you more calories, but the animals will cost you more calories. Yes. And the animals might even injure you. And then yes. you got a whole another problem. Yes. It is. It is very hard to hunt um, and to trap if you're new. Um, and even if you're experienced, it can be really difficult. It, you have to spend a lot of time doing it. Um, when I've taken survival trips, mostly what I've eaten is the occasional snake. Snakes, and that's pretty much the only animal protein that I was able to get. Um, the rest of the time I spent on foraging for plants. Before this show, I didn't realize there were different levels of camping. I didn't know you could go to a cabin with a meal plan and some people would call that camping. I thought all camping was like those survival reality shows, completely in the middle of nowhere. No plumbing, no parking spaces, living on insects and what you could find in the wild without running water and communication to the outside world. I mean, inside world, I guess. Apparently, what I thought of as camping is specifically called backcountry camping. You heard me learn this word from Florida David. I try to slip backcountry camping into the conversation so she'd be impressed at all the research I'd done. But Diane doesn't even notice. It was like bragging to a chef, you know what saute means. I think when people like me imagine camping, mm -hmm. we're imagining backcountry camping. And we're mm -hmm. like, why would anybody <laughs> do that for fun? When I think about myself going out camping, I think of going with a tarp and a mosquito net, and then some, like, water purifying supplies and, like, food. That's what I think about when I go myself. But um, a lot of people don't do that. That's not as comfortable for them. So what you choose to do to go camping is going to depend a lot on what your goal is. So what is your goal when you go out? Um, my goal, it, it kind of varies. I usually try to pick something to focus on. So, uh... I'm teaching my children how to take more responsibility for setting up camp and carrying their own supplies. Um, right now, with my son being four, he can't hike um, in one interval on his own very long. Like, he can hike about four miles. Wow. On his own. <laughs> I can't but, hike four miles on my own. Um, that, that's the most that he's done. And, and my daughter's old enough that she can carry him, but she can't carry all of the other equipment. So I can get about um, 60 pounds in a bag for all three of us, which is really light for all three of us. That's really good. It's like 20 pounds a person. And then we will usually pick some bushcraft skill to practice. Like we might bring some supplies to practice grass baskets, or I might have them focus on uh, what I call a sit spot where they just go sit quietly and observe okay mm -hmm. so so i should do some sit spots yeah okay what? and that could just be in your backyard you are not going to believe this but i am married to someone who loves gardening he has his favorite plant nursery on speed dial when i accompany him i sit on a bench until i'm called to co-sign the major plant purchases i ask the salesperson is this good to eat over and over he says no please don't eat that so I'm like, then what are these plants good for? The salesperson says, some people 
buy plants to attract wildlife to their backyard, like butterflies. I don't have any beef specifically against butterflies, but I'm not trying to attract them. In no world am I trying to attract any wildlife. But my husband bought them all. And now, in a Grecian twist of fate, this yard full of plants bred to attract wildlife is the place where I have to find a spot to sit. So what, what I like to do when I do a sit spot is, I mean, and it's meant to, I, ideally you want to kind of do it over a season or a few seasons so you can observe changes. So like how many times do I have to do sit spots? Like I was going to do just like one. Well, <laughs> one is, is uh, more than none. How many sit spots do you need? Well, you don't, like, there's not a need. It's just, like, okay, how right. beneficial. All right, like, let's start. Yes, okay. what it is. I mean, I think that the point of a sit spot is just making observations and discoveries. And, I mean, sometimes it's a good time to have some internal reflections. It's just a time for your body to slow down okay, and rest and just sort of be able to look at the world without judgment. Just time to slow down and look at the world without judgment. I judge people for what fonts they use. How could I sit in a spot resting while worm poop is touching me in places reserved for intimate partners and TSA? I was so sincerely optimistic about this adventure with Diane until she told me just now to go outside. I thought she was going to teach me how to make fire and throw axes and shit, which, truly, I was excited for. If I knew how to, I don't know, chop down a tree, not only would that make me feel more secure, I could put it on a resume to co-star in a Charlie Theron action movie. I can't put meditating with plants on an actor's resume. It's not that I don't see value in debunking fears. I just feel conflicted about training out a fear when it's actually served me pretty well, all things considered. I've never gotten murdered in the woods. I feel like my ancestors are probably pretty proud of all the trouble I haven't gotten myself into. What will I tell my ancestors when I pray? Namo Ayirafak, Namo Ayirafak. Dearly departed father and my beloved grandparents, I have contracted Lyme disease from sitting outside, but I learned not to judge the tick who gave it to me. No. No, I have to try and weasel out of the sit spots. I'm not proud of it, okay? But I play the race card to see if she'll drop the homework. I've taken some, like, cultural geography classes that have really opened my eyes to the ways that certain um, cultures have, like, been steered away from the outdoor environment. Um, and me coming from... Um, a white majority, like my cultural history um, includes the outdoors as like this nurturing, restorative space, whereas for a lot of cultural minorities in the U.S., urban spaces were the refuge. Right. So they're incentivized to stay in urban centers and not like the outdoors is like this weird place. Like, why would you ever want to go there? Right. The rural areas are a place of danger. And mm -hmm. so the urban places are the place of like refuge and community. And that totally makes sense when I, when I understand that and understand like the history of the U.S. And I would love to see that change. Mm -hmm. And for um, 
spaces to be seen as like helpful and relaxing. She's right. Changing the space so that everyone can find refuge outdoors on equal footing would be progress. Like, when you put it that way, if I don't do the sit spots, now I'm the racist. The race card doesn't affect people who are willing to do the work of inclusion, unfortunately. So, I need to adjust my attitude. I mean, okay, making the outdoors a place of relaxation for everyone is worthwhile. Maybe ambitious, but I'm ambitious. I pick Adele songs at karaoke. Of course, I practice rolling in the deep in my car on the way, because that's what all the greats do. They practice. They warm up. That's the difference between an amateur and a pro. So, uh, of course. Of, co- of course I have to practice camping. I'm going to be the Adele of camping. So we make a date for Diane to teach me. She has a waiver for me to sign. It says basically, you know, if you die, you die. So I sign. And when we come back, I start camping lessons. I think that my existence is is predicated on ignoring mm-hmm. how much of nature we have not successfully isolated ourselves from. Yeah. <laughs> Diane Carrico told me to do some sit spots observing nature to prepare for our camping lesson together. In the weeks since, I did one at the very last minute, the day of our training. It ended up being in my driveway, which, to be fair, is a spider preserve, but I was sitting inside my car, doom scrolling through social media to avoid our training together. I'm not sure if it counts being inside my car, but she didn't specify, so that's on her. I observed nothing. And then I arrived late at her house. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and start recording here. Uh, I just pulled up to her house. Uh, the weather is like really kind of dr- like cloudy, but at least it's not, you know, super hot. I have got all of my recording equipment. I'm going to mic her up. I have got bug spray, great water for my face because it's super humid, a hand fan, nose spray, allergy eye drops, Benadryl, outdoor survival kit. Maybe she'll teach me how to use it. Obviously, tons of lip gloss and an entire cup of coffee. So I think I should be hydrated and protected from anything that could come into danger while I'm just going through training. But I don't really know. She made me fill out all of these like waivers and stuff with my like emergency contact information and everything. But hopefully um, nothing happens to me. And if something does, hopefully it's super entertaining for you. All right, here goes. Whoa. Well, dogs. Your backyard is very nature-y. It is, isn't it? Her backyard was more wild than I expected. There was no path, no right angles. The deceptive thing about backyards is that they look contained to the human eye, but they are not. Nature doesn't see a fence line. In my neighborhood, cats and possums use the fence line like a highway to get through the area. Trees grow alongside fence lines because birds use it like a community latrine, and they drop seeds when they go number two. Fences to bees and mosquitoes are just weird trees. To armadillos and worms, fences are nothing. 
I feel compelled to shake my fist and yell at them, Get off my lawn! But here, I'm the trespasser. It was never my lawn. It belongs to them, and one day, it will be theirs again. It's been really hard to morally boost myself to leave my house. Has it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just, like, don't even know where to begin. Oh. You know? Well, pick certain things to pay attention to, like listen to the sounds of the birds or see how many different types of trees there are. Um, or if there's, like, if the squirrels tend to like one area more than another and why that might be. Um, that's a pretty... I feel like if I actually sat down mm -hmm. in my urban environment and took the time to really notice how many animals were around me, if I were to really just like tune in and meditate upon literally how many more insects are around me than people uh -huh. in that moment uh -huh. and what the birds must all be saying to each other uh -huh. and how many more of them there are than I can see with my eyes. Yeah. And I think I would, you know, how, where the squirrels are and, and what must they think of us. Mm -hmm. I would be extremely overwhelmed <laughs> and, I can feel it. I and can afraid feel it your and I would go inside uh -huh. if I did that. Well, just pick one thing. <laughs> just pick one thing. <laughs> you don't have to pick all of them at once. I think that my existence is, is predicated on ignoring mm -hmm. how much of nature we have not successfully isolated ourselves from. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a good thing that we didn't because we need that in our ecosystem in order to be alive. So sure. they're good. It's good for you. It's good to have these things. I know Diane's right. Humans are part of a complex ecosystem. I watched Captain Planet. We do need all these living things in order to live, even in the city. And as you know, I'm very pro staying alive. She is so generous with her time and her patience. She's really trying to meet me where I'm at. I was nervous. I mean, I still am. But you know what? I am here and I am warming up to the idea of going camping. So the, the creatures you might need to worry about here are um, wild pigs. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, okay, I am not ready to go camping. Apparently, there are two million feral hogs in Texas. No county is safe. They are such a problem. We have legalized hot air balloon hog hunting expeditions in Texas. But I physically cannot process the pig problem in my brain right now. I reject this information from Diane as a defense mechanism because we're running out of time and I still have water, fire, and snakes on my list of concerns. Ugh. So I move on and ask about snakes. Most of the time, venomous snakes want to hold very still when you come upon them okay. so that you don't notice that they're there and they will just continue holding still as you pass by. Um, if you step on them. So keep walking. Yeah. If you step on them, you know, they might bite you. Um, and if you, if you harass them. But a lot of times if you, if you like, if you were to poke a stick at them, instead of fighting you, they usually want to get away. Um, so I should poke them? No, do not poke them. Just, um, so typical striking distance for a snake is about two thirds their body length. 
So if you've got a three foot snake, you want to give a two foot circumference around them. So I run right? into a snake and we have to do math? No, just like, just right like gauge it, just like gauge. <laughs> I'm the getting general, a lot of mixed messages here. Yeah. Okay, no, 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 I'm, I'm telling you the, the behavior, the okay, behavior okay. of the snakes <laughs> to try to soothe you, but I don't think it's working. It was not working. I'm a planner. I'm the mom with Advil and chopsticks in my purse. If there are snakes out there and we have the gift of foresight to know it, I need to run a snake drill before I go in the wild. I have a talent for exhaustively imagining worst case scenarios and putting boundaries to avert and mitigate them. That's why I have been asked to host more than 36 bachelorette parties. I make sure we have the most fun that is humanly possible before law enforcement gets called. There are no sugary, dirty penis straws being toted bar to bar like Petri dishes at my bachelorettes. Because I know the only cup worth a damn in a moving party bus is a plastic tumbler with a screw top lid and straw. I know everyone's allergies. I bring a first aid kit. I negotiate costs, routes, and itineraries in advance with club promoters, restaurants, airlines, everyone in advance to minimize contact with creepers and the case of parties in Costa Rica, aggressive monkeys. I need a snake plan. This is not the time for improv. I am not going to yes and no fucking snakes. So, okay, my daughter was bitten by a venomous snake. She was out, um, um, she was about an hour east of Austin um, at a camp and she was barefoot. She was alone, she was stressed out and she was walking in the dark through an area where there are a bunch of little frogs hopping around. She stepped on the snake, and so it bit her three times. Oh! Um, yeah, now, um, she was coming up to meet me, um, and so she told me within a couple of minutes, and uh, about an hour later, hour and a half later, she was at the hospital. She stayed there for five days. Oh my God. Um, I mean, it didn't look bad. She had swelling in her leg. She described a lot of pain. She has two little, well, I guess four, four little fang marks now, scars left over. And she says that it aches every once in a while, but she doesn't have any other permanent damage. When I spoke with a nurse there, she told me a story of a child um, that lives out in the country that was out playing around, was bitten by a snake. This child, ran home, so blood was pumping a little bit more, and then um, his family didn't believe him. And I, I believe it was about a, a day or so, delay care, um, and then he was in the hospital for about a month. But how badly you're affected by it, uh, by a snake bite, depends on whether or not the snake actually envenomates you, because sometimes they'll have dry bites, and that's more common with adults that have learned how to control their venom a little more. Um, how, how do you know if it was a dry bite or not? You have to get tested. Okay, so you don't, you, you just yeah, treat you every bite as if it had venom? Yeah, I mean, they, they checked my daughter for um, the presence of venom uh -huh. and then confirmed that she was envenomated and so started the treatment for, with anti-venom. Like it just bit like in a muscle? Yeah, yeah, so she, she was bitten on the inside of her foot. Okay. Yeah. But the nurse in the hospital told me that most bites occur on the feet or the hands and there's usually a frog involved somebody's trying to catch a frog and so is a snake and so the snake and bites snake one. you yeah okay. <laughs> the snake one um, that sort of thing but bites are not they're not super common bites might not be super common but 
I do not think I'm going to have more beginner's luck camping than Diane's daughter. Confirmation bias is my favorite thing. I spend probably 60% of my time on the internet confirming my bias, 10% on email and messaging, 20% on food porn, and 10% on porn porn. So when I heard about these real live snake bites and those real live hospital stays, in this economy, I was done. Bias confirmed. My mind was closed for business. Instead of my curiosity basking in the warmth of her knowledge, like back when we were inside, outside, I just wanted our time to end. But our bushcraft lessons were only starting. Diane sets a dry erase board up in her camping chair so I can see. There's a triangle diagram drawn in black marker. She's very proud of it. It's very cute. Each side of the triangle has a label. The left side says heat. The right side says O2. And the bottom side says fuel. Like Socrates, she asks me questions. She wants me to think through them myself before she writes the correct answer on the board. But I don't know the answers. And I don't have a cheat to get them. I mean, I, I thought she was going to be my cheat to get them. And what... What do each of these do? Burn. What what burns? Each of these each of these does something for the fire. Okay. So what does the oxygen do for it? It feeds it. This is fuel is the food. The fuel feeds. Okay. Fuel feeds it. Fuel okay. is the food. Okay. Oxygen is the it, saliva. Is it's like <laughs> it's a chemical reaction. So it sustains the combustion. Yeah, it's totally right. So it sustains combustion. And then heat, what does heat do for it? Uh, Digests it. (laughs) So the heat will bring the fuel to its ignition temperature. Are the plants more likely to be dry on the ground or in the air? I don't know. Well, there's more air circulating. Up you high, right? You don't really think I know that, right? <laughs> okay, well, I'm, making you, think about, I'm think, making you think about where to collect it from. The frustrating thing about this exchange is that I know these probably aren't hard questions. I thought it was stressful to get good grades when I was my parents' retirement plan. My survival depends on Diane's pop quiz, and I'm failing. Diane really thinks I know the answer because the fire diagram is still up. It might as well have been the manual at Chernobyl. I'm starting to think someone like Diane could not possibly grasp what I don't know about her world. Diane's a wilderness educator, but I don't know. Has wilderness education met me? I did manage to light the fire eventually, kind of, if a single flame is a fire. Oh, and she had to coach me hard to get it too. Even though on paper, I knew the ingredients for fire. I definitely don't feel like I could do that in the wild on my own. And knowing that about yourself kind of sucks. It makes me feel powerless and incompetent. I thought that learning more would make me ready, but it made my FOGO worse. I get in my car and drive away from her little slice of squirrel and bee and tree spout heaven, which I've come to learn is my personal purgatory. I feel drowsy. It was just so much to be aware of constantly. Maybe camping lessons were too ambitious. Maybe I'm not there yet. I don't want to be there yet. I don't even want to be here. I came to this lesson with fear of what I don't know I don't know. 
So I did learn things. I learned new things to be afraid of that I had never even considered before. If fear is all in my head, what's the courageous thing to do about 30 to 50 feral hogs in the yard? Every teacher I've ever had said that if I worked hard and studied, I could do anything I put my mind to. Knowledge is power, but sometimes knowledge is not enough. Sometimes the problem is not my personal ignorance. I am trying so hard to repair intellectually to go camping, but my body is pulling me down. I literally feel heavy. My heart is judging me like, oh no, baby, what is you doing? This is not the life. Get out. I don't know what my solution is. I had no plan B after professional camping lessons, but going outside didn't work. So now I'll go inside inside my head and back indoors where there's air conditioning and snacks. Join me next week when I introspect with a therapist about this whole fear thing. I think of it as like your skills in one arena can transfer into nature. Okay. So I I shouldn't be that worried. Well, I mean, it is also nature. Logo, Fear of Going Outside is a Spotify SoundUp series and was workshopped as part of the Spotify SoundUp Podcast Accelerator program. Fogo is written, hosted, and produced by me, Ivy Lee, and produced and edited by Mariah Gossett. Our theme song and original music were composed by Michelangelo Rodriguez. Fogo is engineered and mixed by Robin Edgar, with additional story editing by Aaron McGilbert and Minda Way. Production support by Benjamin Groza's Eastrup. Fogo's board advisors is Jeff Shaw and Martin Thomas. You can follow today's guest, Diane Carrico, on Facebook at Earthbridge Nature Education or shoot her an email at earthbridge.education at gmail.com. From Spotify, our executive producers are Gina Delvac, Candice Manriquez-Ren, Andrea Salenzi, Natalie Tullock, and James Zimwald. Special thanks to Brian Marquis, Teal Cracky, Yasmina Fifi, and Shirley Ramos for production support. Listen to Fogo, Fear of Going Outside, for free on Spotify. Episode 3 drops next Thursday. Go to fogopodcast.com for the newsletter and transcripts. You can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at Ivy Lee with one E, the phrase all spelled out, or on Facebook and Instagram at Fogo Podcast. You really should follow me right now because it's my birthday month. When it's Ivy's birthday, it's everybody's birthday. (laughs) It really is. I do celebrate the whole month. Was that a rattlesnake?